Good morning again. Thank you for being here. We are grateful to have visitors with us. As always, we want you to know how much we appreciate you coming our way. Thank you for being here today. We'd love to have you come back. If you have the opportunity, we would love to see you again. If you're looking for a church home, as always, we invite you to consider the work here. We would love to have you come and be a part of the work here. We're going to be looking at the passage read a moment ago by Sean in 2 Peter chapter 1 and Primarily, we're going to be looking at verses 3 and 4, 2 Peter chapter 1, again verses 3 and 4. Today, we're going to be talking about the great promises of God. There was a time in America when people's word meant something. You ever thought about how many business deals in days gone by were transacted by merely the shake of a hand? Well, today... It entails a lot more than just shaking hands. A lot of litigation goes into trying to make sure that the interests of both parties are protected. The beauty of Scripture is that we read of a lot of great promises of Almighty God. And the beauty of the promises of God is reflected in the fact that we don't have to doubt whether or not God will fulfill His Word. God is a being who honors what He has said. So whenever God says He's going to do something, you can bank on it. You can just mark it down. If He makes a promise, He will uphold His end of that promise. And so today we're going to be talking about the great promises of God. I want to begin by first calling your attention to the source of our great promises. Now, Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us that God has granted or given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. And then in verse 4 he said, "...whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises." So what about the author of our promises? You know, there are certain people in days gone by, they have proven themselves to be reliable, trustworthy. And there are people that I know, as I'm sure you do, that if they tell you something, you can just bank on it. That if they promise they'll do this or they'll do that or they'll stand beside you or behind you, you don't have to worry a bit. It says something about their character, doesn't it? What we're talking about in our lesson today has to do with the character of Almighty God. And throughout Scripture, God has given many, many great promises I want to just direct your attention to a passage found in 1 Kings chapter 8. In that context, we have Solomon dedicating the temple. You remember his father David wanted to build a temple, but God did not allow that, and so Solomon had the opportunity to later build this elaborate, ornate temple wherein the presence of God would dwell. In 1 Kings chapter 8, in verse 56... Solomon makes an interesting statement about the character of God. He said, Bless the Lord who has given rest or peace to His people Israel. And then he said that there has not failed one word of all His good promise, which He promised through His servant Moses. Solomon there simply amplifying the fact that all of the promises that God had made up to that good point in time, he had fulfilled. 
So what about the character of God? Well, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 6, it is impossible for God to lie. And you remember in Titus chapter 1 at verse 2, Paul would say that those of us who belong to God, that are members of the body of Christ, that we live in hope of life eternal. Now listen to this. Which God who cannot lie promised before time began. Paul there emphasizing the fact that we have eternal life in Christ. And I think in addition to that, just underscoring the fact that God is not a being that you can't trust. When He makes a promise, He will fulfill it. You remember over in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about the eventual second coming of Jesus. And there were scoffers that had arisen in the first century. And they asked the question, Where, where's the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And so Peter directs their minds back to the ancient world. And then down in about verse 8, Peter said, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. But His long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Emphasizing the fact that when God makes a promise, just because in this context... Peter's saying, just because the Lord hasn't come does not in any way mean that He won't come. He's coming. We just don't know when. And it, may be a, it might be a thousand years from now. It might be a million years from now. It might be today. It might be tomorrow. We just don't know. The point is, He'll come. So what about the aim of these promises? Why would God make promises to the crown of His creation? And by the way, we are the crown of God's creation, aren't we? Didn't Moses say that we've been made in the image and the likeness of Almighty God? That it is God who has given us a spirit, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. In other words, God's the father of our spirit. We have an outward man, that's the flesh. We have an inward man that will live forever. So what then is the divine aim of all of these promises? Let me just sum it up in one word. Blessing. What God wants to do for you in this life is to bless you. God thought enough of you to make certain promises that would be a tremendous blessing in your life. Do you remember the psalmist in Psalm 68 at verse 19? He said, Bless me the Lord who daily loads us with benefits or blessings. James would say every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. And the idea is that God is the fountain from which every single blessing flows in life. Paul would say in the city of Athens in Acts chapter 17 that it is God who is the giver of all life, breath, and all things. It's in Him that we live, move, and have our very being. Everything that we possess in life Physically and spiritually, we owe to whom? To Almighty God, don't we? So God's intent is to bless us. And so what Peter is saying here with regard to this aim, number one, he wants to educate us. Educate us about our state in life and how we might enjoy, as Jesus said, an abundant life. Go back to the Old Testament. 
and look at all of the prophecies that were penned pointing in the direction of the coming of the Christ. When man sinned in the Garden of Eden, God had a plan in place to redeem man. So immediately God began unveiling that redemptive plan. And you can go back and sift through those great prophecies of old, some 300 prophecies about the coming of Christ. What prophecy failed that God made in the long ago? Can you think of any? Every single promise was fulfilled. So Peter would say in 2 Peter chapter 1 that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, didn't originate with man. But rather, holy men of God spoke as they were moved or borne along by the Holy Spirit. So you had inspired men pointing to the coming of the Christ. And the purpose of Jesus coming to earth was to liberate us, wasn't it? As Peter would say, that we might become the partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Here's what Jesus said about truth, and truth is imperative. We live in a day and time when people today discount absolute truth. There are a lot of folks in the world today that have the idea you can't know the truth. Well, Jesus said you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, John 8, 32. And then with regard to God's revelation, do you remember the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3? He was a prisoner of the Lord when he penned this epistle. And Paul said that he received revelation from God And he wrote that revelation down in a few words. He said, whereby when you read, you might understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So what about knowledge? What about education and liberation? Well, listen to Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul said, God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So truth and salvation have a correlation. Now, there's a second thought I want to share with you. And this has to do with the scope of our promises, or the scope of our blessings. And I want to begin by first of all talking about the vastness of God's promises. So when Peter says that God has granted or given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, he's talking about the hope that we have in Christ. In verse 4 he said, There have been given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises. So what are those promises? Well, ultimately, it begins with salvation, doesn't it? The fact that in Christ Jesus, and maybe we miss this sometimes, in Christ we are incredibly rich. We have a fortune in Christ Jesus. Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Paul simply acknowledging the fact that every spiritual blessing known to man resides in one place, that's in Jesus. So it's imperative that we get into Christ so that we can tap into those blessings. So first and foremost would have to do with pardon. Now, go back and look at the period of the patriarchs and those who lived under the Mosaic economy. Did they enjoy forgiveness as we do today? No, they did not. 
Their forgiveness was in anticipation of the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. But God, you remember through Jeremiah the prophet, talked about the days coming when he would establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Did God bring about that new covenant? Yes, he did. There was, as the Hebrew writer said, a change in the priesthood, and as of necessity, there was a change in the law. We're under the law of Christ. It was founded upon a better covenant and better promises. Well, why is that? Because under that old system, the Bible says that it wasn't possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But in Christ, the Hebrew writer said in chapter 8, verse 12, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities, he said, I will remember no more. So, take your mind back to Acts chapter 2, Pentecost Day. Peter and the other apostles are preaching the gospel in its fullness for the very first time. Those people on that occasion were convicted of sin. They were convicted of sin, and as a result of that, they wanted to know, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, you need to repent, number one, be baptized, number two, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the forgiveness of your sins. So when they obeyed the gospel, did that mean that all of their sins were washed away, removed? That's what Peter's saying here. Again, remember what the Hebrew writer said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. That means when God forgives, He will never again bring up our past. Imagine standing before God in the judgment. And you have bowed in the knee, you have bowed on your knees before the Christ. And you're in Christ. That is, you're a child of God. And maybe there were things in your past that were not so becoming of you as an individual. But because of being in Christ and enjoying pardon, cleansing from sin, when you stand before Him, God's not going to say, you know, you remember back before you became a Christian what you said, what you did, where you went, the things that you did in your life. No, that's not how that operates. God is saying, when I forgive you, then your record is purged. I will never again bring that up. It is as if it never occurred. Let me tell you what, that ought to be encouraging. When Peter said, there have been given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises. To think that in Christ, you don't have to bear the stain of sin, nor do you have to bear the shame of sin. What about the penalty for sin? Well, Paul said the wages of sin is death. The gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now there's a second thought. First, we talk about our pardon in Christ, but what about peace? Have you ever had a conflict with someone? And maybe you've had a disagreement, a strong disagreement, so much so that some strong words were used. And then later, you sit down, you try to reconcile your differences, and you ask this question, are we good? Are we all good? And the response is, yes, we're good. 
But then, over time, what happens? We think we're good. We think that our relationship is intact, that there's peace between us. And then we get together only to find out that they really haven't let go what they said they would let go of. That we're really not good. There's a problem there. I want you to listen to what Paul said. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of sin, man is estranged from God, separated from God. That's what Isaiah said. Jesus functions as our intercessor and as our mediator, doesn't he? So as our mediator, Jesus, the design of Christ coming to the world, was to ultimately bring the two parties together. You have man in sin on one side and a holy God on the other. And so when we meet at the cross, what then do we enjoy? Pardon and peace. The kind of peace that passes all understanding. There's a third blessing that we enjoy, a third great and precious promise. It has to do with prayer. As a child of God, you have the opportunity to approach the throne of God 24-7. Does God hear your prayers? Does God understand where you're coming from in anguish, turmoil, heartache, tribulation, sorrow? Sure He does. You remember when John wrote in 1 John chapter 5, Listen to John as he talks about prayer. Now, before we look at that verse, I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. There the apostle Peter said, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open to what? To their prayers. So we have the assurance. Peter wrote this second epistle as well. Peter is saying that when we stand before the throne of God in prayer, that we have a God in heaven who is listening and listening attentively. He hangs on our every word. And so John writes in 1 John, and John is emphasizing the importance of security and knowledge in Christ. And John said, this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. That's important. It's important to me to know that when I go to God in prayer, that my prayer is not falling on deaf ears. But rather I have the Creator of the universe listening to my prayers. There are many, many important people in our world. There are dignitaries, corporate leaders, individuals who have welded a lot of power throughout their lifetime. But you will never have the opportunity to stand before anyone or talk to anyone who has more power than Almighty God. And you can go to God in prayer and you can believe that God is hearing your prayers, that's a promise, and that God will answer those prayers according to His will. Jesus said, ask 
and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. The Bible tells us that we are to pray without ceasing. And there are times in life when maybe we don't have all the answers. Maybe we're concerned about various circumstances unfolding in life. It might be that we're concerned about the state of our nation, the state of our family members. But I know this, there is a sovereign God in heaven who is sitting upon His throne. And God has not relinquished power on His throne. The Bible says that Jesus is the ruler over the kings of the earth, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. And that this God who is sitting upon His throne is listening to my prayers. The Hebrew writer said, Let us therefore draw boldly under the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There are going to be times in your life when you're going to have some intrinsic needs. There are going to be times in your life when maybe you don't have all the answers and you don't understand everything unfolding in your life. But I know this. There is a God in heaven who is interested in your plight. He is interested in what's going on in your life. And He is there for you as one of His children. I said a minute ago that the aim of God's promises is to bless us. And so when you are in Christ Jesus, you are enjoying unique blessings. There are certain blessings that we all enjoy. For example, you remember when Jesus talked about He makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends the rain on the just and the unjust? There are providential blessings that we all enjoy in this life. But then there are other exclusive blessings that only those who are in Christ enjoy. Well, what are those blessings? Pardon, peace, prayer. And what about God's presence in life? Where would you be without God in your life? You ever thought about that? When you face the troubles and trials of life, and when people are making it very difficult for you to enjoy life, isn't it comforting to know that there is a God in heaven who is standing by your side? I mean, isn't that, isn't that encouraging? That you have an ally in God? And didn't Paul say, if God be for us, who can be against us? Wasn't it the Apostle Paul who said in the long ago, on behalf of God, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. What shall man do unto me? Look, you've got the presence of an eternal God at your side every single day. When the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in the long ago, Paul talked about some preliminary trial that he had already experienced. So he said, At my first defense no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God it won't be laid to their charge. But then he said, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi some six years earlier, Paul in Philippians chapter 4 would make this statement. 
the Lord is at hand. Paul was in prison, facing tough times. And yet he could acknowledge the fact that God was at his side. That's encouraging. That's one of God's exceedingly great and precious promises. Now, we talk about our fortune in Christ Jesus. But listen, we've got a future in Christ. And not just a future in Christ, but a future with Christ. Do you remember back in John chapter 13 when Jesus announced He had already been talking about how He would go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the chief priests, elders, and scribes, be put to death, and then raised on the third day. So in John chapter 13, really chapters 13 through 17, the Lord's having a very intimate conversation with the apostles. And He would be leaving them providing them with a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who would guide them into all truth. But in chapter 13, Jesus announced to the apostles that He would be leaving them. And Peter spoke up, as often he did, affirming the fact that he would be willing to stand with the Lord come what may. I have no doubt the Lord speaking of His impending departure created anxiety, trouble, alarm, in the minds of the apostles. And so Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Why? Because Jesus is deity, isn't He? He was the Word that became flesh. And so He said, You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, He said, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, Jesus said, I will come again and receive you unto myself. In John chapter 11, Jesus, prior to raising Lazarus from the dead, when Martha met him, you remember she was distraught. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus here affirming the fact that he had the power to raise the dead, and he did. But in Christ, when we leave this world to know that we have an exceedingly great and precious promise, and what God is saying is, there is waiting on you an eternal abiding place. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to guess about it. You don't have to to say, you know, I hope so, think so. No, what God is saying is, this is a divine truth. This is a promise. Listen again to Paul in Titus chapter 1. In that we live in hope of life eternal, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. Paul's saying, look, you have eternal life. God has promised it. It's a fact. So in light of that, lay claim to it. Now as we talk about the vastness of God's promises, we just close by sharing the value of God's promises. Why are God's promises important? I mean, what's really behind the promises of God? As a parent, 
Don't we do certain things for our children because we love them? Because we care about them? We're interested in their well-being. We invest in their well-being. But to understand that God is interested in us as members of the human family, He has invested heavily in us. So I can tell you why God has given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises. And the reason is because of His goodness and His graciousness. God is a good God. And the graciousness of God is seen by reading this book. I mean, go back and look at all the great promises of God. They're all because of the goodness of the God we serve. In the 100th Psalm, the psalmist said in the long ago, and he was talking about the character of God. He said, for the Lord, He is good. God is good to His people. I mentioned, I think, the other day in Jamaica, when someone would say, God is good, the refrain was often, all of the time. God is good all of the time. And we are immeasurably blessed because of the goodness and graciousness of a loving God in heaven. So I close today by asking you this question. Peter has said that God has granted unto us exceedingly great and precious promises. Are you a recipient or a holder of those promises? Do you remember in Romans chapter 8, in verse 16, Paul said, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And what Paul is saying there is that we can take God's revelation produced by the Holy Spirit. We can look at God's revelation in light of where we are in this life. And we can determine whether or not we belong to God or we don't belong to God. But he said, the Spirit himself bears witness with our, with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ... My father and your father owns this world. The psalmist said, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to God. And as one of His children, you are an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. And that means as a child of God, you have before you an inheritance. It is described by Peter as incorruptible, undefiled, it fades not away. And he said, It is reserved in heaven for you. That is a promise. And you don't have to worry about that promise. God has made it, and God keeps His promises. So today, are you a holder of all the great promises of God that we read about in Scripture? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to think about where you are in life. And understand that God has provided for us just a plethora of blessings. All we have to do is take the initiative. And if we'll take that step of obedient faith, those blessings will be ours. So what do you need to do? Well, you need to believe Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus affirmed that fact in the long ago. He said, except you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins.
and then to, to repent, to change your mind, to change your life, to make an about face, and then to confess with your mouth what you already know in your heart, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then be buried with Him in baptism, knowing that all of your sins will be washed away, Acts 22, 16, and God will put you in the church. And listen, God has promised to save the church, Ephesians 5, 23. So if you're in the church, you're among the saved, the clean, the cleansed, the redeemed. And when you step out into eternity, you have the assurance that the Lord will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. If you're here today, and maybe you've, like Peter talked about in 2 Peter chapter 2, maybe you have been ensnared by the world, entangled once again in worldly affairs. To know that God wants you to come back. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants you to be with Him. Listen, we can live for Christ today so that one day we can live with Christ. If you're here today and you need to respond to the invitation, please come as we stand and sing.